Welcome to the Economic Update. My name is Sean Morgan. I'm the host of the Sean Morgan Report on AMP News. I'm here with Dr. Kirk Elliott. So, Kirk, you know, I saw in the news the U.S. Treasuries, like the safest investment on planet Earth, supposedly just downgraded by Fitch, uh, the biggest rating agency. Uh, Warren Buffett's buying Treasuries despite that. I mean, so is this just a, a matter of perception? Is, uh, what, what do you think about this news? Well, I think it's actually really big. It's actually huge news. So when you think about it, the world's reserve currency, which is still the U.S. dollar, has to have the best credit rating available. I mean, it has to, right? But if we don't, I think they're setting the stage for us not being the world's reserve currency, right? So we had AAA got downgraded to AA plus is, is what it did. So it's a downgrade. Now, let's compare that to like a regular bond market, right? Normally, the bellwether, you know, 10-year, 30-year U.S. Treasury bonds going to pay a very low yield because it's supposed to be the safest investment on earth, right? And it's been the safest investment on earth because we have a lot of money coming into America. We're America. We have productivity. We have revenue. And it's safe. And we have a printing press if you ever get into problems, right? So now for for... If you had a junk bond, which is the opposite end of the spectrum, that you have to entice that investor with a higher yield, a higher rate of return, because they need a better return for the risk that they're taking, thinking, okay, I'm going to invest in this junk bond because who knows if the company's even going to be around six months from now. So while I'm doing it, I need a higher rate of return. So what does it mean when they downgrade? It means you know, we've been hearing Jerome Powell say, well, we'll probably raise rates again in September, but then we can go on a pause because we're winning this war on inflation, right? So no, A, they're not. And B, I think this kills any pause because now you have to raise rates because of the downgrade, right? So uh -huh. the rest of the world isn't going to want U.S. Treasuries on a downgrade because perception is now it's not the safest bellwether treasury bond in the world. Maybe the BRICS one is, maybe anything else is, right? So, so, but it's no longer U.S. Treasury that has a AAA rating. So, of course, after that announcement was made, Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, says, Fitch, Fitch rating doesn't know what they're talking about. And, <laughs> That's the only thing they could do is say that, right? Yeah, and then Jamie Dimon of, of J.P. Morgan Chase says, this is this is unreasonable, uncalled for. This doesn't even make any sense. It's like okay, but it does make sense. I mean, they've been it does actually look at the I mean, debt. Yeah, it does. They're the best rating agency on the planet. Just because they downgrade you, um, I mean, of course they're going to disagree with it at, at the federal level, right? But but why did they downgrade? So there's two things that they probably look at more than others. Number one is how much debt do you have? And number two, how much income do you have to sustain that debt, right? So those are the two big things that they would look at. Well, we've got $32 trillion worth of debt. And with the removal of the petrodollar, countries signing bilateral trade agreements, no more inherent built-in demand for U.S. treasuries. Well, now they're going to have to force themselves to print money to pay off our debts. This is a problem. This is why Fitch said, well, with that in mind, we and and lowering wages, rising interest rates, inflationary pressures, rising taxes, 
we we have no choice but to actually right. downgrade, right? So of and course, isn't it relative to the other the other treasuries out there, the other governments, and, and their uh, fiscal stance? Uh, you, you you know, Fitch has to be looking at uh, all the other countries and their fiscal uh, compared to the U.S. Uh, debt levels and income levels, and it's not looking so good for us at the moment. No, and it's not like some of the other ratings, you know, bureaus that you can actually pay them to get a good grade. Right? So, so right. Fitch doesn't act like that, right? They're truly independent. They're going to give what they think, and I'm sure that analyst is probably getting all kinds of threats. It's like, what have you done, right? But it's not just one analyst. I'm sure. <laughs> It's a board of analysts. It's that the one. It's the one rating that could change change the way we perceive the whole global Everything. financial game. And I mean, it couldn't be happening at a more appropriate time, could it? With, with the, the BRICS meeting in August in, in Durban to be announcing perhaps a new, a new currency to challenge that type of hegemony. I mean, it's it's a massive challenge, right? And so, but there's other challenges too, right? So so kind of a bigger, broader view, you know. The, the BRICS nations meeting that's coming up in August, they want to replace the, the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. This doesn't help the U.S. dollar, right? So, but you making a big change like that, that's a paradigm shift. That's like the pivot of all pivots, right? Um, you actually have to have people running scared to say, okay, this is a good idea. The BRICS nations should be the world's reserve currency, right? So, so how do you do that? through systematic um, destruction of the economy as we know it. So, so you, we've got all these inflationary pressures and Voltaire, right? The old philosopher from way back in the day, um, he expressed, uh, he had a really good quote that I was reading over the weekend, paper money eventually returns to its intrinsic value zero, <laughs> right? Because it, when you print without discretion, it's going to devalue, devalue, devalue. It's going to take more of that junk currency to buy valuable goods and services. It ultimately always goes to zero, right? So, so here's where you start to look at that, why our currencies are collapsing. But banks are also collapsing, Sean. So the bank failures in mid-March, starting with Silicon Valley, were just a warning shot. It was a shot across the bow. Because if you think about it, what do banks need to survive? Banks need high interest rates and a reduction in their loan portfolio to survive. Why do I say that? Because the people aren't with higher interest rates, they're not having the propensity to pay off their mortgages and pay off their loans. They're defaulting, right? So, so higher interest rates means they're bringing in more money. A reduction in their loan portfolio is what they need to survive because they can't have all these bad loans out there, right? Now, borrowers need exactly the opposite. Borrowers and both commercial and private, they need lower interest rates and more credit to survive. So it's exactly the opposite. So who's going to win? Are the banks going to win, you know, and, and basically stick it to every consumer? Or are the consumers going to win and banks fail? There's There's not a good outcome here, right? So basically the way I see this ending up is, both sides end up losing and borrowers will default and banks will go bankrupt because right. of where we are. Now, this actually brings in like a perfect scenario 
of wealth destruction. So you look at the debt, rising interest rates kill people that have debt, countries that have debt, you know, institutions that have debt, right? So global debt has gone up 80 times, like 80 <laughs> from 1971 until now. So what happened in 1971? Hey, the World Economic Forum became a thing um, and <laughs> took us off the gold standard internationally. Boom. At that point, completely fiat. But <clears throat> and, and they also considered it the, the petrodollar. And that's one thing I know maybe you were on a train of thought and you didn't finish it. But I just didn't want to forget this important news that just broke is that Venezuela wants to join the BRICS. And they've got a whole oh. bunch of oil under the ground. They might be too stupid to get it out of the ground with the dictatorship they have right now. But they've got a lot of oil. And so does Iran and Saudi Arabia and all these other countries that are with the BRICS. And so now we've got energy policy that could be controlled by the BRICS and not uh, the U.S. Well, for sure. And so the petrodollar now becomes the petro brick, right? So there's zero demand for U.S. dollars moving forward. It's, I mean, Venezuela is big. It might be the fourth largest oil producer in the world, right? But they're so backwards. But but you just put some structure to that and they've got a ton of oil reserves. So does Iran. So does all these other countries that they that are joining these BRICS consortium. So between 1971 and today, global debt went from $4 trillion to $325 trillion. Okay, that's big. That's an 80 times increase. But moving forward, if you were looking at it on a chart, it's almost like straight up, Sean. So between now and 2030, seven years from now, global debt should surpass three plus quadrillion. It's like, cute. It's like I was looking at the numbers. It's like, wait a second. That's not a B or a T for a billion or trillion behind the number <laughs> Q. It's like, what? What? So, so we're talking about quadrillions of dollars of debt. So when you have high interest rates and high inflation attached to that debt, you're going to have both sovereign and private defaults. Sovereign meaning countries are going to go bankrupt. Private defaults, banks, companies, and people, <clears throat> right? All of them. Yeah. So so here's what here's what happened. We're, we're already seeing the signs. Turkey, Argentina, certain countries are, are struggling. Yeah. See with over hundred percent inflation. And and we saw a kind of a, a precursor, a foreshadowing of things to come in France recently, because what happens when you have high interest rates, high taxes, unsustainable debt? You've got countries that start to collapse. Well, France was seeing their pension system about to collapse. So what did they do? They brought in austerity measures and they told the, so this is a socialist nation. People pay higher taxes in a socialist nation so they can be taken care of the rest of their life, right? So in France, when they said, hey, we run out of money, sorry, every one of you who have been paying higher taxes in our socialist country, uh, you're now not going to be able to get your retirement benefits for a while. We're raising your retirement age. And so that's one austerity measure. The other one that governments take is they lower the benefits. So this is what I see coming in America. Higher taxes, oh. bail-ins, the failure of pension and social security system down the road because they've truly run out of money, right? And it's almost like a, a Ponzi scheme in the sense of you've got more people getting benefits than you have people paying into the system now. So there's going to be yeah. austerity measures. And, and Janet Yellen already said, too big to fail, no such thing anymore. Once the banks started failing, 
we're just not going to pay for it anymore. We're going to have the the consumers. We're going to have the the people who have deposits at these banks bail out their own banks. That's what a bail-in is. So ultimately, the difference between a bailout and a bail-in is not much different. We still end up paying for all of it, but it's who is, has the name on the bill. It's either the U.S. government or it's us, right? The same is the end result. The government pays for it. It comes through higher taxes and inflation. We still pay for it, right? So so they're just not going to. So I'm looking at bail-ins, which was passed into legislation during Dodd-Frank bill during the Obama administration. And I think we're going to see austerity measures moving forward as countries start to run out of money because of this debt and higher interest rates and higher inflationary pressure. So right. I don't see a, a light immediately at the end of this tunnel, but I do see a light at the end of the tunnel eventually. I just think it's going to get dark before we get to that point of a total change, a change in the system, a change in the way that things are done to maybe state chartered banks get out of the federal system or, you know, some kind of tangible backing to currencies to actually give it something real accountability, transparency, all of that needs to be done for this system to change. It's designed to break. And uh, that's why the political side is so important uh, because this, the regime in charge in the U.S. right now, they're one, they want to come after investors. They want to increase capital gains tax. They want to increase all kinds of uh, taxes so that it really hurts us, the citizens, and, and investors. Investors will flee the U.S. and go to jurisdictions where they can invest with low taxation, which just brings the system down faster. Right. And let's go back to oil real quickly. I, I want to make sure that people understand that if we have a political system like we have now with a, a regime like the Biden regime capturing our government and forcing us not to be an oil producing nation, then we're at the mercy of OPEC. We're at the mercy of the BRICS nations if they're determining oil policy. We have to show that we actually have oil production capabilities. We can't shut down all the pipelines. We can't shut down all exploration. If uh, And yet that's exactly what the Biden administration is doing. And so we, we are really in a vulnerable place economically if, if we don't politically uh, change the policy on energy. So uh, I guess people have to figure out what to do with their own pocketbooks now, no matter how it turns out politically. You can't just say, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, the White Hats will <laughs> take care of everything. Like We should prepare for the worst, shouldn't we? Right. Uh, how can people do that financially? What, what are their options and, and how can people talk to your team? Well, the easy thing is to allocate into something that's tangible, get out of the system, right? Do something that's real, not a digital entity. You're not a digital transaction, right? Something real like gold and silver, take delivery of it or store it, right? So call our office, 720-605-3900. Just say, Sean sent me at Badlands, right? Badlands, so, yep. Yeah. So, so this is where we could, um, easy thing to do. Because it's something you can do right now. Now, politically, you know, vote with your voice, right? Call your state legislator and say, hey, do what Texas is doing. Do what Alaska is doing. And, and say, I'm just simply not going to vote for you unless you actually pass legislation for a state chartered bank to get out of the federal system, right? So that's down the road. That's something that we should always be working on is maintaining our freedoms. But, but this one, it's simple. Just give our office a call. Say Sean at Badlands sent me, or 
you can actually just go to the link that, that we yeah, have you, know, on this video. you can schedule a call with uh, Kirk's team, get, get a free precious metals consultation, no pressure. You, you decide what to do, but it makes sense to me right now with people's retirement money in the system that's about to blow to try to figure out how to hedge against that. Uh, well, thank you, Kirk, for, for giving us this update. I'm looking forward to see next week what's happening because uh, Argentina is having elections. Uh, they're looking at a 20% downgrade in their currency that, oh, to devalue their currency by 20% with these elections coming up. Uh, so that's just another piece of the puzzle, uh, another domino that, that could fall, uh, that could trigger other things in Latin America and beyond. We'll be talking about that next week. God bless Kirk. God bless everyone at Badlands. See you next time.